Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Optimal You Wellness Center's new podcast, The Next Generation of Holistic Healthcare. Today we're going to be talking about neurology and chiropractic and how they are very closely intertwined. So as a chiropractor, we're known as neuromuscular specialists. That means that we have to have a complete understanding of not only the neurology, but also the musculoskeletal system. Now, what people don't really think of when they think of neurology or chiropractic or even science in general is the vibration, the vibrations that exist in our nerves and on our cells activating. And whenever you have a nerve firing and activating, it has vibration. So we hear a lot about vibration in today's world and how this has been something that has been studied. And um, I don't want to say forgotten, but a lot of people, it's like when they hear vibration, sometimes they turn off to it. They don't think it's something that we should work with or really focus on. But we're discovering more now as technology is expanding that vibration has so much to do with how a cell activates, what its function is going to be, and also classification of cells. So going back to chiropractic and what's actually happening when you receive an adjustment, you essentially have a plethora of sensory neurons and motor neurons that are supposed to be vibrating. And when these neurons vibrate, they're supposed to be going back to certain areas of the brain that are in response going to be vibrating once those cells are activated. And now when you look at chiropractic and you look at having full range of motion in every joint, every joint possible, each one of your joints in your body has a capacity for call it 100% range of motion. And if you're not getting adjusted and you're not receiving that sensory neurons input to feel what 100% range of motion is, such as, just to simplify it for some people, if you're turning your head to the left and you only have, call it 50% of your next rotation to turn to the left, but you have 100% to the right, there are 50% of your sensory neurons and motor neurons that are not getting activated and they're not vibrating. This means that when you follow the sensory nerve back to the ipsilateral side of the brain and you follow the motor neuron back to the contralateral side of the brain, um, primarily looking at the motor and sensory cortex, you have very large areas of brain matter that are not vibrating and are not, in turn, turning on certain actions and functions and regulations that are supposed to be ongoing. So when people get adjusted and they go from having 50% range of motion to all of a sudden reconnecting to the 100% range of motion and reconnecting to those motor and sensory neurons, you're reactivating areas of the brain that might not have been vibrating for quite some time. And I have some experiences in my practice where I'm adjusting people and they have memory recall that they can't explain or it surfaces a trauma that they might have forgotten about. I want to take people back to a very um, interesting thing to think about and that's if you have Let's say that you're 10 years old or you're 11 years old and you, this is before some kind of very traumatic experience in your life has happened. You're able to move left and right. You're able to look up and down. You have 100% range of motion and you're talking to 100% of the sensory neurons when you turn left or when you turn right. Now let's say something happens to you that's very traumatic, physical, emotional. Um, I'll let you kind of create that story. When this individual has that traumatic episode happen, they start to guard. Your brain actually 
starts to change the blood flow in the brain and it actually starts to not inhibit its certain contractors. And when you don't inhibit these contractors, you get in this guarded tone, this, this guarded posture. And people don't realize, even when they're stressed out or this event happens, that they are restricting their range of motion or that they are guarding. And you might have, you know, when you look at massage therapists and even chiropractors and you see people when they work with muscles, they'll be like, oh, you're very tense, you're very stressed out. We see this a lot and it's a natural reflex that we have as human beings to protect ourselves and to guard and, and prevent the trauma from reoccurring. And what happens is, is we stop talking and vibrating a lot of sensory neurons and motor neurons that were restricting that range of motion from essentially communicating with them. So let's say that something happens when you're 10. 10 years go by, you've suppressed the memory, you've suppressed the emotion, you don't really have, um, you don't have an ability to communicate with these neurons. Now you forgot about the memory. I go in and I do a certain adjustment or, and I force you to activate from that 50% range of motion back to the 100%. You start to vibrate and activate motor and sensory neurons that are going to vibrate and go back into the brain. When this occurs, I believe that what's happening really is the vibration is coming in contact. This nerve's coming in contact with a memory, a neuron that's holding a memory. And as you vibrate the nerve that hasn't been vibrated since before the event, before you started guarding, you start to reactivate and re-communicate to the memory neuron that starts to vibrate. And all of a sudden, the individual will remember something they've suppressed for quite some time. And when this happens, they will have a very traumatic or response. This, sometimes my patients will feel like they can't move. They'll feel like they are have, they're re-experiencing um, the trauma all over again. But ultimately, it's a very therapeutic release, and it allows them to either deal with it, uh, face the trauma head-on, and be able to move past it and grow from it and strengthen from it. But ultimately, that is neuroplasticity in a nutshell. The ability to actually see how we were able to reactivate and talk to, get back into areas of the brain that haven't been vibrating through a means of activating another wire that had not been turned on since then. So now I want to bring this all back to chiropractic. When you are getting adjusted and you're looking at all of the joints in your body, each joint in your body should have 100% range of motion. So what I want people to realize is you want to activate as much as your brain as possible. If you don't use it, you lose it. This is very true. It, it exists in our world, in our bodies every day. If you, if we need everybody to be activating 100% range of motion on all other joints. And this has to do with getting blood back into the frontal lobe. So the frontal lobe has three main functions. Inhibit flexors, which is you know your contractors, your muscles. Inhibit sympathetic activity, which I really want people to focus on. Your frontal lobe is supposed to be inhibiting your heart rate rising. It's supposed to be inhibiting, meaning reducing your heart rate going up. It's supposed to be inhibiting your respiration rate from rising, your blood pressure from rising. It's supposed to be bringing these things back down so you can live a longer and healthier life. So the name of the game is getting blood back into the frontal lobe. And you'll probably hear this a lot from other practitioners. If you are going to the chiropractic for even maintenance wellness treatments, that is amazing because you are getting 100% range of motion to two areas of the brain, your primary motor and sensory cortex that are in your frontal lobe. 
And when you get restricted motion as you age and as you degenerate, again, one of the first things that happens is we break down in our posture. And that's from our frontal lobe not inhibiting our muscles' ability to activate and contract. So just as when you die and you lose brain function, you fully contract all the muscles in your body, and this causes that stiffness that we call rigor mortis. Now again, as you age, you start to lose that ability to inhibit these contractors. So I want people to think of chiropractic as being a first line of defense to aging when you look at getting adjusted and putting back in that 100% range of motion to every joint. And in doing so, you're activating 100% of your body's true motor and sensory neurons that are gonna be bringing blood flow into areas that get restricted over time as you age. Now this is something that I think a lot of chiropractors don't preach enough, is the ability to increase longevity, the ability to increase quality of life through basic adjustments and how we do affect the neurology. Because society as a whole today is dealing with this grand epidemic of immobility, of looking down at screens and at our phones. We're getting into this time in our world where we're literally not activating our cervical extensor muscles. We're not, there's so many different reasons why we're not getting blood back into our frontal lobe as we should. And now I want you to think now as a human being, when you take a step back and you think about how this addresses our emotional behavior, if the blood is not going to the frontal lobe, it gets shunted and then it ends up in the temporal lobe. And from here, that things in our temporal lobe start to overactivate, such as your hippocampus, your amygdala, your, your um, emotional centers, your fear, anger, loathing processing centers. You are turning off, as you're shunting blood to the frontal lobe, that's supposed to be your inhibitor. And you're putting blood into the temporal lobe, which is more your emotional brain, which is gonna make you do things that you want to do, not necessarily that you need to do. Your frontal lobe, being the executive guider, is supposed to be telling you what's appropriate, when we should be doing things, and when not to. So I want you to think of it as you're putting blood into the emotional area of your brain, the temporal lobe, which is going to make you do, like if you want to sit on the couch and you don't want to move because it feels good, that's going to feed your temporal lobe. Now, to get up and go exercise and go move around and go do chores and go do um, errands, get work done, you need blood to be going into the frontal lobe. So the more we engage in this immobility and lack of getting blood into the frontal lobe, we're putting blood into the area of the brain that's saying, hey, keep doing the things you want to do, not the things you, that you need to do. So a really good fix to this is getting back into chiropractic, getting back into exercises, doing yoga, working on your posture, and trying to do everything you can to get blood back into the frontal lobe daily so that way you can always be addressing and activating the area of your brain that's going to be telling you, hey, let's get to work. Let's progress in today's world. Instead of getting stuck in the emotional side of your brain that's saying, no, I'd rather just sit on the couch and just enjoy eating. You know, you also think about how your food, um, taste, and smell centers are located in temporal lobe too. And so all of this just goes hand in hand in wanting to essentially be lazy versus actually getting things done. So a great way to start being more productive in your life is by physically exercising. A great way to fight depression and anxiety is to get moving and exercising so that way you're getting blood back into the area that's supposed to be inhibiting um, that behavior. And it's supposed to be inhibiting your ex that executive function and getting blood back into the inhibiting side versus the emotional side. So now that we have a deeper understanding of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, I want to bring this to an applicable measure when we look at how we can change how we treat patients, even in the hospital setting or the primary care setting. 
When a patient comes in and their blood pressure is 121 over 80, or call it 131 over 90, these patients are now in these pathological boxes of you have hypertension, you have high blood pressure, you are prehypertensive. When you adjust someone in the cervical spine, we know that we can greatly reduce their blood pressure on the spot. So what we see is that if these patients were to get adjusted before getting their checkup, before having their blood pressure taken, they have a chance now to reduce their heart rate, reduce their blood pressure out of these pathophysiological ranges and bring it into a normative range to where no longer they are candidates to be recommended medications or to be stamped essentially with a diagnosis of having high blood pressure, um, tachycardia. We want to, it brings, it brings back the ability to give people back their lives before they start engaging on, you know, unnecessary medication use. So I think that's something that the hospital especially could greatly benefit from um, when these patients are coming in and just having a chiropractor on staff who's going to be adjusting everybody on the floor to balance that parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system daily. Okay, so now I want to talk about the vagus nerve. Um, the vagus nerve is cranial nerve 10. It's wrapped in parasympathetic nervous system fibers. Um, the vagus nerve is actually what is going to communicate, allow your gut and your brain to communicate with one another. Your gut creates 90% of the serotonin that's actually utilized in your brain. So one great way here at Optimal U that we treat anxiety, um, depression, is that even attention deficit disorder, is that we are going to actually heal the gut lining and we're actually going to take a look at the amount of production of serotonin that's ongoing in the gut. So that way your brain can utilize this feel to maintain the ability to focus, to maintain the ability to feel good, to not get in that depressive or anxious state. One thing that we do here is food sensitivity testing. Food sensitivity testing allows us to do a deep dive on all the things that the individual is ingesting and encountering and see what is actually creating inflammation in that person's body. Everybody comes into our office, a lot of people come into our office, and they will have um, telling us, oh, I'm eating healthy, I've switched to XYZ, and this is, I read from this program, this protocol, that this is the anti-inflammatory way, this is how we need to change our diet. Okay, there's a lot of truth to that, but ultimately everybody should be engaging in food sensitivity testing and seeing exactly what it is that their genetic makeup, their body, actually creates inflammation toward. I have a lot of patients who come into our office and they'll be, oh, we just got off all of our dairy products, we're now entirely on soy. Well, when I do their food sensitivity testing, the results come back and they are reactive to soy or they're reactive to certain alternatives they've substituted in. So again, I want people to take a step back when they look at how to engage in a diet and I want people to say, what is my body, what does my body create inflammation toward? Because that's really where you should start the creation of a diet, is seeing is what you can eat and what you actually are creating inflammation from. Because you, it, you're doing your body a disservice if you think you're eating healthy and you're actually ingesting a bunch of things that are going to be causing inflammation in your body. Um, again, the inflammation cascade will occur and the person will eventually, you know, from this inflammation can gain weight, have more um, absorb absorption issues. They will have not be able to create serotonin in their gut, which can eventually lead down the road to them not feeling as good as they should or not having the energy that they should, not being able to maintain focus as they should. Uh, 
uh, it should be the first line of attack when we think of how do I orchestrate and how do I create a diet for this individual sitting in front of me that's actually going to benefit them. You can switch diets all day long, carnivore to um, going vegetarian, pescatarian. But again, it should all start with what does your body create inflammation from? Because that is the first, in my opinion, that is the first route of attack that we should be taking as providers before we hand somebody a diet and say, this is what you should be eating. Okay, well, now we have this food sensitivity test that's going to actually guide us and tell us, this is what we know you should not be eating. Let's start here and let's try to figure out what you're eating out of this list and remove it and try to find alternatives that will satiate you and um, give you a nice, enjoyable life around eating these things that actually cause inflammation in your body. And again, all of this has to do with vagus nerve activation um, and actually your body's ability to rest and digest. A huge issue in society is that we're not activating our parasympathetic nervous system the way that we should, and it's allowing our sympathetic nervous system to override, which is heart rate up, blood pressure up, respiration up which again is gonna decrease your ability to live as long as you can and as healthy as you can. So when you, again, going back to lab testing, I see a lot of people who are claiming to be functional medicine doctors. When you actually look at what a functional medicine doctor does and what functional medicine is, it's when you look at a blood range and you say, okay, this typical standard blood range that we diagnose off of was created by tests that were actually done on mid-20s, early 20-year-old college students who were incredibly stressed. Most of them were males, and it just should not be the range that we use to put every human being in and saying, this is what a healthy body should be in. So what functional medicine is, is it takes that standard range and it expands it just by a tiny bit to allow for us to gather more diagnoses that can exist if we just expand the range a tiny bit. So if you're looking at glucose, if you're looking at um, white blood cells, if you're looking at anything that you can find on a lab panel, you're going to see that there's a standard range, and then if you're working with a functional medicine provider, they're going to be working with the functional range. That allows, again, for more options on the table to see what is actually the root cause of this person's dysfunction. Now, going back to being a functional medicine provider, you're going to find that there's people who sell... Um, essentially anti-inflammatory protocols and they're just going to be a series of videos or they're going to be um, a series of classes that are actually not going to look at your blood and see what you need but they might still charge you thousands of dollars. I want everybody to know that if you're going to invest money in your health I want to see you do it correctly and I want you to understand that the best care you can receive in today's world is going to involve having somebody take your blood and actually looking at each range and building a comprehensive picture of what is actually going on with you and what can be happening. Because again, when we looked at food sensitivity testing, we can all try fad diets and we can all try inflammatory living protocols, but what is the point of doing that if you are actually sensitive to some of those things you're switching yourself onto? So everybody needs to take a deep dive on their chemistry, their makeup, and see what does my body create inflammation off of and what do I really need to remove? Because again, something we see in our office over and over again are people who have made these healthy changes but aren't just getting better. They're not getting better and the first thing we do is the food sensitivity testing to remove the inflammation from their lives and we immediately start to see turnaround on symptomatology. 
So again, I want to just let people know that a true functional medicine workup is going to involve your blood being taken and actually tests being done that are going to determine where you need to go from there. What, what systems do we need to look at more closely? And um, please find yourself a good functional medicine doctor who knows how to do that and is trained properly because that's going to take your health so much further than just jumping on some kind of fad or um, hot diet of the month. So one last thing I want to share with you that's pretty cool. When a female is pregnant with um, a female in utero, you actually will create more magnesium and phosphorus than when you have a male. And your body innately knows that your female in your system will actually develop their skeletal system and their neuromuscular, their neurology faster than when they're having a, a boy. So your body prepares for this. It adds more magnesium and phosphorus in your breast milk so that way it has the nutrients that it needs to grow the system, to prol proliferate it. Um, now when you look at neurology and you look at the brain of a male versus a female, males have more neurons but they're not as efficiently or um, intricately wired as females. Females have more white matter, which is the corpus callosum. They have more fibers that are connecting the left brain to the right brain, right brain to the left brain, than males do. They have less neurons, but they're much more efficiently wired. This is why females have a tendency to be better organizers, better multitaskers. Whereas males, we have a little bit more working memory capacity, but we don't have the ability to greatly multitask like females do. We struggle a little bit more with this. So it's also why diseases like multiple sclerosis that like to target white matter, um, white matter neurons, essentially why they go after females more than males because females have a lot more of that white matter uh, in their brain. When you are looking at children developing now, going back to what I was talking about with the babies in utero, when you have a five-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl at the same age, you're going to see a lot of more boys getting diagnosed with behavioral issues than females. And it's usually tied to an inability to focus in class. And when you look at why they can't focus, a lot of the times you're going to dive deep and figure out that they actually have what is called potentially a convergence insufficiency. Or simply put, they're not able to develop their eye muscles in the same way that the female has at that age. Because again, we know now that the female has developed her neurological system and her muscular system, skeletal system, faster than the male did. She's able to see central vision. She's able to read better, more accurately than the male is at that time. So when you put the male and the female in the same class and the female can read, and the male, I want you to think, might be seeing double vision still. He might not have developed his visual acuity as well as the female had at that point. So then at that point, he might get frustrated that he's not able to perform like the female is, and he might respond in a way that's negatively or an aggressive manner, which might have him call it, do something inappropriate, like a little hit or maybe a yell out, disrupt the class. And all of a sudden, he's getting diagnosed with behavioral issues when really he's more just frustrated that he is not able to read and not able to participate and engage at the level that the female is. And so this is where you can really start that negative cascade of unnecessarily putting somebody in a behavioral, um, behavioral problematic child when they're not. So again, you hear a lot from other countries, what are they doing to fix this? They're going outside more, they're adding more time to recess, they're doing more PE. This all has to do with what I was speaking about earlier when it comes to, it's all about getting into cranial nerves 
three, seven, nine, and 10. And I don't want to lose anybody there. It's about getting into the nerves that we're supposed to be activating when we're using our peripheral vision, our extensor muscles, when we're climbing things and then looking around and chasing things. This neuron development is crucial, crucial for children to engage in and properly develop so that way they can read, they can have proper central vision, they can start activating the areas of the frontal lobe that are gonna be modulating behavior and focus. And um, I think it's something here in America that we really need to stick our teeth in more and actually engage more in because we're losing that. And I think it's gonna have a significant impact on the future generations if we continue down this pathway of um, being very screen dependent and not engaging in simple peripheral neuron, peripheral vision activities like we used to. I just wanna say thank you everybody for joining. Today was supposed to be just a quick little um, introduction and I wanted to do a bridge and understanding, giving people a better understanding of how chiropractic is affecting the neurology in your body and how they do go hand in hand. Because again, as a chiropractor, we are neuromuscular specialists. So I hope everybody finds a good chiropractor in their area that really greatly understands the neurological system as well as the um, neuromuscular system and the skeletal system and can bridge these things together and actually knows how to properly treat the body. And I hope that everybody finds a good functional medicine provider as well that actually knows and is doing blood testing and actual lab testing to figure out what your root cause of your problem is and is not just giving you some protocol um, shot in the dark that you actually might have sensitivities that can increase inflammation in your body. So again, I want to say thank you. I hope you guys um, enjoyed it, and I hope you found it educational, and I look forward to seeing you guys next time.